Hi, I'm Jordan Mentor, and you're listening to the Brooklyn to Beijing podcast. Every episode elevates a new conversation around China and its ever-changing relationship with the Black diaspora. Welcome. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Brooklyn to Beijing podcast. This week, we'll be tackling a pretty fascinating story in person that I've always wanted to talk about. I'm your mentor, and with me is a pretty cool guy whose work actually inspired this episode, Zifeng Liu. Today, we'll be talking about Claudia Jones's work, who she was, a black activist, a journalist, her life. Her view on nuclear weapons and her attempts to link Beijing's nuclear ambitions to global anti-imperialist and nationalist movements. With that, I also want to challenge our guest today a bit and talk about the implications from her era and what that means for us in our world today. So, on that, let's get started. So, Zifeng, you're essentially what we call an intellectual historian, specifically,、uh, you know, specializing in 20th century Africana, you know, twentieth、um, century Africana world, and and specializing in in, in Black internationalism and anti-colonial thought and you know Afro-Asian solidarity. So, I always let my guests do their own pitches, talk about themselves, and and do their own intros. I think it's only right. So I think just to start us off, give us some background on you. You know, first define,、um, you know, for our audience, like what makes the role of an intellectual historian different to, I guess, say an art historian or an anthropologist. And and then you know, in talking about your background, tell us about your current project.、Uh, I believe it's called "Redrawing the Balance Power" and 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 why Claudia Jones matters. Hi, hello everyone.、Um, thank you so much for having me here.、Um, I、um, am a graduate candidate uh, in uh, the Africana Studies and Research Center at the Cornell University,、uh, and I, I call myself an intellectual historian because I study、uh, people's ideas and I try to make sense of those ideas、um, by contextualizing them by trying to. Understand the motivations,、uh, the kind of larger geopolitical kind of backgrounds,、mm-hmm. really behind all those、uh, articulations of ideas.、Um, and so, my approach to intellectual history、uh, is heavily informed by African American studies or Black studies in general. So,、uh, so I define intellectuals not just.、Um, As those who, you know,、uh, have PhDs, those who,、uh, you know,、uh, published monographs, those who、mm-hmm. always,、uh, you know, have access to journals, to publishers, right? So I try to understand ideas、um, that sometimes are hidden in, you know,、uh, some personal letters, in、uh, newspaper articles. In、um, you know uh, some uh, autobiographical essays, so what I do is try to remind the personal papers of the people I study and try to understand uh, their um, really ideas. And in a particular, right in、uh, the context of a, 
me writing my dissertation, I try to understand how the people I study thought about China and how they try to forge mm-hmm. similarities with China and how mm-hmm. and why uh, um, they uh, wanted to do that, right? And what mm-hmm. um, what um, you know uh, what 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 were they trying to do basically? And um, to a degree, the people I study were able to understand really the complications, the complexities of internationalism, the kind of uh, mm-hmm. really the, the the difficulty that. Uh, really uh, uh, was really involved in building solidarities in a very difficult geopolitical context uh, right. that uh, really was defined by the Cold War or by you know China's own geopolitical ambitions. Right, right. So, you know, to give some background to this episode and, and why I asked you on today, we have Claudia Jones, right? She is Trinidadian born, you know, I'm, I'm West Indian as well, so I definitely, you know, relate. Um, she migrated with her family to the U.S. as a as a child, and and she became a communist political activist, right? Identified as a feminist, embraced Black nationalism, and due to you know, I think you talked about it, the effects of, of McCarthyism and the McCarthy era, which was you know basically a lot of political persecution of, of communists in America. She was deported, right, um, to the U.K and where she joined the Communist Party in Britain. Um, before we delve into her life, though, I wanted us to, I guess, set up some historical context and give a bit of background on Black revolutionaries, Black radicals and activists, and their connection to revolutionary China, communist China, right? There seems to be, and, I, and I, I'm new to this as well, like, you, you know, within the past couple of months, you know, I bought a book, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's called, I believe, The, the East is Black, right? And that was like completely blew my, I did not even know W.B. Du Bois was in China, you know? <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, I wanted to just set up some context for my audience since, you know, I feel like if I don't didn't know about this, then there's probably people out there who don't know about this as well. Um, you know, there seems to be a, a bit of his, his history and, and, or history of engagement between black radicals and, and particularly Maoist China, you know, post-revolutionary China um, in, I guess this can be, this can ha- be its own podcast episode, but, you know, can you frame that for us in terms of what attracted that, what caused this engagement? Was it sort of uh, a push from American radicals? Was it Mao reaching out to, for, you know, worldwide solidarity? And, and you know, wh- where did this even come from? And then we're kind of going to talk about how Claudia fits into, Claudia Jones fits into all this. Absolutely. Um, as, as we know, right, even, um, you know, within the uh, radical Black intellectual tradition, um, they mm-hmm. are different um, schools of thought, right? And people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, identifying with the different schools of thought develop different approaches to China, right? So there were people like Mark Scavey, for example, approach China from a kind of a black nationalist perspective, right? So mm-hmm. Mark Scavey was very interested in Chinese nationalism that uh, developed really uh, in the context of Japanese invasion in China, mm-hmm. Western imperial aggression in China as well, right? And Mark Scavey was interested in actually a kind of a Chinese-Japanese collaboration. So Mark Scavey wasn't really very clear and definitely not very critical of uh, Japanese the Japanese empire, but he uh, really envisioned a kind of a, a solidarity 
of people of color globally, and that solidarity definitely included China. Mm. Right. So for Marx Garvey, right, so we all know him, you know, he's, uh, you know, to summarize his idea in a few words, of, like, and it could be, you know, uh, uh, basically uh, race over class, right? So Marx Garvey right. uh, really had this kind of race-oriented ideology. Right? Then there are other people who try to approach China within a kind of a communist-inflected framework, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so those people, they... Uh, came of age and they really developed um, their political ideas within the American left. If we're talking about, you know, people uh, from the United States, right? So people like Claudia Jones, of course, you know, because Mm -hmm. we really grew up in the kind of, uh, uh, like kind of black left, um, uh, Mm -hmm. like media, right? So are you saying, because in this time, I'm thinking the Soviet Union is like the big elephant in the room, right? the black left. They're, they're, are you saying that they they, they sort of, uh, 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 I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, were attracted to, to China more, as opposed to the, to the USSR in terms of, of ideas and in terms of, of of I guess you know expressions and manifestations of communism. Right. So this is a, a great question because you still you know it's very hard to make any generalized uh, argument right. about this. Right. right. So people like Claudia Jones and uh, for people like. Um, you know, even Elena Robeson, whereas many of these people, like they approached like communist China, really, um, like they started to do that in the uh, late 1940s and early 1950s. Mm-hmm. So that was really also in the context of the kind of uh, Soviet global peace campaign, right? So, so, right. so at that time, you know, China was in alliance with the Soviet Union, and so uh, these mm-hmm. people uh, really approached China. In this context of uh, China, kind of uh, like Soviet Union alliance, and in the context of uh, this kind of global drive for peace and also global drive against the Korean War, right? right. But also, people like W. B. Du Bois and uh, Paul Robeson, right? So they uh, really started to approach China before uh, the communist victory in China, but uh, they approached to uh, China. Definitely was still in, informed by kind of a uh, kind of a class perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So, in, I mean, you know, like uh, Paul Robeson was supportive of China's war against the Japanese Empire, right? So, still, I would say it's uh, very important to really study different individuals and try to understand their, you know, individuated interaction with the China, right? But still, for people like Claudia Jones, it is very obvious that uh, like her writings uh, on China, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't say uh, like her writings on China in the 1970s were actually on China. So so those writings mentioned China, but China was not really uh, the major subject of concern, right? But so, so would, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, I would say, you know, uh, Claudia Jones in the 1950s still understood China within a kind of uh, international communist uh, framework. Mm-hmm. So before I guess we delve too deeply into Claudio um, um, too early, I wanted to, I guess we can conclude um, based on what you're saying that the black left just had a lot of nuances on the American side when it comes to, to their engagement with with communism and, and, and anti-imperialism across the world. Right, definitely. Yes. Yeah. So it's, uh, sometimes people will say, you know, it's uh, uh, a kind of uh, um, 
it's like like what Mark Scarvey said, right? It's a kind of a global solidarity of color. But mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, um, like with even as we know, within uh, radical black right. circles, there were disagreements, there were conflicts, mm-hmm. and you know, right. conflicts and disagreements actually can also play out in like people's engagements with China. Right. So, I. I'm not, you know, this is where you come in to kind of fill in the 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 missing pieces. But I remember that at some point Mao sort of had a message, right? Um, that kind of called for the internationalization of a Black liberation movement, and he kind of made a statement supporting, um, you know, Black people in America and their struggle against racial discrimination against the U.S. Like, how did that play into to this? Right, so um, so Mao uh, issued uh, an, um, a, a statement um, in support of uh, the Black Freedom Struggle in the U.S. Mm-hmm. in 1963, right? Yeah, so, okay. so much later. That, yes, and that statement was issued on August 8th, right? So right before the March on Washington. So, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, of course, uh, they really like that issuance of... Uh, the statement was actually timed to really uh, kind of coincide with uh, mm-hmm. this, you know, very important march on Washington. Right? Right. But still, um, um, so uh, Mao actually issued that statement as a response to a request from uh, Robert F. Williams and his wife, Mabel Williams. Oh, right? So Robert F. Williams and Mabel Williams, they were also very important activists. So right. uh, they came from the uh, South. And they, you know, uh, even during the height of what might be called the classical uh, civil rights movement, right? So they were really doing our self-defense, uh, very different from uh, the kind of uh, uh, non-violence uh, civil disobedience approach. Then, mm-hmm. right, right. So, uh, and uh, because of their kind of advocacy of um, self-defense, uh, the Williamses um, had to uh, flee to Cuba. So. Actually, it was in Cuba um, um, that they uh, really sent Mao that request. Got right? it. And, and Mao kind of just did this open request and sent it across right. as the mar- march in Washington was about to happen. Right. And what is interesting about that statement, you know, not to uh, like, you know, talk too much about that statement, right? So one mm-hmm. statement is that Mao said uh, in that statement, uh, national struggle uh, in the final analysis is a class struggle. So, so national yeah. struggle for Mao here refers to uh, the Black Freedom struggle in the U.S., right? So for Mao, you know, racial discrimination um, is still a matter of a class conflict. So that actually um, was a little bit controversial, and uh, yeah. people like uh, Robert F. Williams actually did not fully agree. Yeah. So um, in the 1960s, uh, early 1960s, Early to mid 1960s, 63, 64, you could see uh, that the Chinese government really tried to impose that kind of interpretation on mm. um, uh, the civil rights movement um, uh, on um, the Williamses, right? So there was a kind of a tension, of course. Right. So skipping back a bit before we jump right forward. You know, talk about Claudia Jones, she was basically, you know, and thank you so much for just providing all that context. She was sort of being swept up in all this, um, you know, uh, uh, I guess, communist sort of, 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 of not communist movement, but just 
a lot of buildup on the black left, essentially. Um, so McCarthyism, you know, was she targeted? Was she prosecuted? And why was she sent to the UK and not back to Trinidad? Is it safe to say? I mean, Trinidad is a British colony, but they, you know, why did she have to go to the UK? Why didn't they just send her back to, to Trinidad? Was it, you know, were they fearful of, of, of a radical being sent back to, to the islands? Or, you know, like how did that come about? Right. So, uh, you know, uh, as we know, Claudia Jones um, was a member and she was actually a leader of the Communist Party USA. Right. Mm. So she was a card carrying member and uh, she was a radical uh, a black thinker. And she was also a radical black woman. And right. also she was never naturalized as an American. Right. So she was always trained that the end. So, you know, all of these things really uh, made her vulnerable to police, uh, to, to, to political repression. Right, and in particular, right. uh, in the years of uh, McCarthyism, right. But still, uh, we when we think about like McCarthyism. Uh, so McCarthyism really kind of um, ended, according to uh, most historians, really around like uh, mid to late nineteen fifties. But still, yeah. that kind of anti-communist sentiment still exists today, right? So right. that you know right. what uh, scholars like Shirzban Nistelli. Uh, called a kind of a McCarthy structure feeling, right? Even like the former, for, kind of formal uh, systems of uh, McCarthyism, like the formal policies, the formal ethics mm-hmm. um, uh, really um, were gone. But, you know, as we know, they are still a lot of anti-communists, right? Right. We look at Cubans, Cuban Americans, and we look at the, you know that that's a good example right. of that. Yeah. Yeah, and then you know because of that, Claudia Jones uh, was deported to uh, the UK, and the reason why she wasn't deported to Trinidad was because uh, the British authorities didn't want a radical to be in a right. country where Which people are organizing for national independence. Right? They they thought you know if she uh, came to the UK, they would be able to keep an eye on her, basically. Got it. Got it. Yeah, because what we did see is a lot of communist governments take control in that, um, you know, that that era of, of post-colonialism, right? We saw a lot of those initial governments, whether in Africa and even some Caribbean areas and in, in, in Latin America, you know, uh, communist ideas and, and socialist ideas took took hold. So I can definitely see them not wanting a radical and, and such a, a leader like, like Claudia Jones headed back to, to, to Trinidad. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we are now we are in England, right? And and you know we kind of talk about get, get, getting to the heart of this episode, which is like Jones' engagement with with China directly. Um, was the 1964 trip to China, was that sort of, uh, the, 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 the starter? Was that sort of the, the, the peak? Was that at the, the end game? Like, how did that play a role in, in, in Claudia, Claudia uh, Jones becoming, um, you know, so fascinated by and, 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 and so supportive of, of the Communist Party in China? So, uh, Claudia Jones definitely was a pro- Chinese but before coming to China, right? God, got um, it. So she uh, voiced a strong support for Mao's statement in 1963, right? Mm-hmm. So because of, you know, her uh, credentials and the qualifications really as a pro-Chinese influential uh, black 
intellectual activist, uh, she was invited to visit China, right? So in 1964, she actually first came to the 10th uh, uh, World Com Conference Against uh, Hydrogen uh, and Atomic Bomb in Tokyo, right? So mm -hmm. she went to a conference uh, about nuclear weapons. And uh, from Tokyo, she uh, went to China. She was in China for seven weeks and she visited, you know, cities, countryside, uh, mm -hmm. and she spoke with the uh, leaders in China, including Mao and also the weight of Sun Yin and Sun Qingming. Um, mm. And she also actually met uh, Robert F. Williams, uh, and he was actually in China in 1964, and she was there at the same time. So they wow. had a, a, a brief meeting according to Chinese documents. Um, and uh, she also, you know, um, uh, like wrote, tried to write uh, as much as she could about treaties in China, but still the reason why we say, you know, her 1964 trip to China was the combination of her engagement with China uh, is apparently because she died uh, shortly after she came back from China in 1964. Right. Uh, and Claudia Jones always wanted to write more about her time in China, but because of that untimely death, so we still mm, really right. don't know much about really what she did yeah. and what she talked about in China. Yeah. So I guess seeing that the visit to China was a combination, let's kind of scale back to um, unpacking, I guess, her time in, in England some more. Um, and, you know, I, what, what keeps coming back to me is the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union, right. and why was there suddenly, I mean, not suddenly, but why was this sort of reorientation away from, you know, the Soviet communist ideology and, and the Soviet Union as being kind of like the guiding hand of the the, the international communist movement um, on the part of people like Claudia Jones. Like, how did that? Where did that that I guess dissatisfaction or 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 you know uh, frustration um, you know start right the, with the right. with the Soviet Union that made them. Look up and, and idolize and and, and 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 you know stand behind Maoist China instead. Right. So okay. So as I said, right. So in the 1950s, when Claudia Jones was still, I mean, she was deported in 1955. But before that, you know, in the late 40s, early 50s, she was, uh, you know, talking about China uh, largely within a communist uh, a framework, right? But still, mm -hmm. I, mean, uh, I think there's still. Uh, there might be some more kind of uh, nuances about that, but still, I would say so. She was uh, definitely uh, talking about China from the position as a of, of a leader in the Communist Party USA, but then her deportation really kind of uh, severed her uh, from uh, like you know, the Communist Party USA, right? And then she wanted to join the British Communist Party, but the British Communist Party at the time was having trouble understanding the question of race and empire. So she couldn't really work with the British communists. Got and it. around the same time, that was also, you know, uh, the kind of a mass uh, migration uh, to the so-called mother country, which is UK, uh, from mm -hmm. the Caribbean, from uh, Africa. Yes. Yeah. In particular from the Caribbean. So yeah. that's why, like, at that time when she was in London, when she uh, really uh, set foot in London, so um, she was really witnessing the formation 
of an Afro-Caribbean community mm. in uh, in London in particular. So, yeah, I think she started Not in a Hill Carnival, right? Which might be today, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it still exists today. Right then, she also uh, edited a newspaper, right? The West Indian Gazette, which right, right. was renamed the Afro, uh, the, the West Indian Gazette and Afro-Asian Caribbean News to re- reflect the kind of uh, composition of the mm. neighborhood that this, uh, journal, this uh, newspaper served, right? So, so Claudia Jones was really kind of uh, steering I was really kind of distancing herself from the the, the, the communist parties, and yeah. in time uh, she got involved more and more in uh, the communities from uh, former colonies, right? From what was called the Third World. So that was really one of the reasons why she kind of refashioned herself as someone who was more committed to Third World liberation. But also at the same time. Um, you know, uh, in the uh, late 1950s, uh, so the kind of communist United Front was really driven with the uh, China-Soviet split, right? And the China-Soviet right. split. Uh, I mean, people could say, you know, it's about power struggles, but at least uh, partially, it was about ideological differences, right? The Soviet Union right. wanted to maintain the Cold War status quo by advocating peaceful coexistence with the capitalist mm. countries, whereas China was still supporting national liberation struggles globally. And for Claudia Jones, that idea of peaceful coexistence basically means the acceptance of colonialism and new colonialism in particular, right? That also means, you know, accepting the status quo by delaying uh, and deferring really national liberation yeah. So, so China's really radical stance, which was in a way also prompted by its break with Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, really uh, kind of uh, uh, corresponded with Claudia Jones's belief in third world struggles. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so around that time, you know, she really kind of refashioned herself as a third world inter- internationalist. Right. And this is still, you know, a, an argument made by my mentor, Carol Grace Davis, right? So, so she has been arguing theoretically uh, about how people's identities, ideologies uh, evolve uh, really as they travel, migrate, relocate, right? How, you know, mm-hmm. physical mobility uh, can inform people's identity formation and ideological orientation. Right. Yeah, no, being in a particular place can radicalize you, it can pacify you. So, uh, you know, I definitely can see some some truth in that. But thank you for, I guess, contextualizing that and, and sort of making that bridge between, you know, the the Claudia of 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 the old Communist Party and and the, and the Claudia that that really embraced sort of anti imperialism and, and anti colonial um, liberation and and just the implications that 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 kind of uh, a, a shift had for her life and, and for for um you know for her work and 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 just the time period in general so you know we can agree that. Jones's focus now was creating sort of, you know, I think I'm I'm quoting you here, an anti-imperialist coalition, um, you know, managed by working class leadership and then fueled by the involvement of of women. Right. And I think that was sort of what led her to think, you know, right now China is kind of doing or Mao is kind of doing what 
I want to do, what I feel more comfortable doing. So I'm going to be on their side. So it's not, you know, it's not that she, you know, had a special connection to China per se. It's that China was more practical for her or, or more, um, you know, yeah. Would you, would you say, say is that? Well, I would say, you know, um, so China uh, really uh, presented a model of revolution that was really appealing to many, uh, you know, uh, leaders in the colonizing world. Mm-hmm. And uh, Claudia Jones definitely was uh, aware of uh, re- the appeal of the Chinese model, right? And how, you know, um, so how Mao really advocated um, national liberation struggles, right? right. And how Mao was such an um, really um, kind of such a staunch anti-imperialist uh, political leader, right? Mm-hmm. And China's, you know, analysis and militant stance really against imperialism definitely was also very important to Claudia Jones. But what I want to show is that uh, Claudia Jones was aware uh, of, you know, um, uh, the fact that uh, there was a tension between, you know, the kind of uh, ideal of international solidarity, the ideal of internationalism, right? On, mm-hmm. on one hand, and, you know, the kind of geopolitical ambitions and the kind of uh, uh, the desire of a nation state for influence really uh, of, of really on the part of China, right? right. So she, she, she's aware, she was aware of that, and what I want to show is that how she tried to uh, navigate, you know, the the, diffi- the, the kind of uh, geopolitical mm, context in which, you know, China could easily disregard the uh, interests and the demands of, uh, you know, revolutionary activists, right? Especially those who were not leaders of a nation, right? So right. who actually were always marginalized in international relations, right? So, so Claudia Jones understood that. So she tried to, you know, uh, use sometimes the rhetoric of uh, the Chinese government to persuade, to in, to really instigate China into supporting third world liberation struggle, mm, right? But also, she's uh, also aware of the uh, really the, the role that uh, journalism can play really in uh, politicizing right. people, right? So that's why I so in my article, I try to really make sense of, you know, all those maneuvers that she undertook to kind of uh, um, to kind of you know navigate and negotiate this possibility that you know China could disregard uh, the the needs of global revolution Mm -hmm. got it got sort of holding holding them accountable in a sense right yeah so October 16th, 1964, a big day because that's when China tested their first nuclear weapon, right? What did this moment, first of all, mean for, you know, the anti-imperialist Maoist Communist Party? And then I want you to talk about what did this moment then mean for Claudia Jones, right? Because there's a whole lot of conversation over, you know, her embrace of this, and then is it hypocritical? Is it not? But like unpack that moment and, and, and what it and what it sure. meant. So, you know, um, so China um, was insistent on developing its own nuclear weapons, 
right? And China also at the same time um, really led a global global peace campaign, a global campaign against nuclear weapons, right? So mm-hmm. for the Chinese government, it was important to uh, you know uh, for the big powers to also stop developing new nuclear weapons. But uh, so in 1963, there was a nuclear disarmament agreement signed by the UK, uh, the Soviet Union, and the US. And so the Chinese government interpreted that uh, like agreement as a way to uh, disallowing China from developing its own nuclear weapons. Right. The Chinese government also said that agreement did not really stop the US from stockpiling nuclear weapons. Mm. And so... And so, when China uh, success uh, succeeded in uh, really exploding its own nuclear weapons, so the rhetoric developed by the Chinese government around that was, you know, how that nuclear weapon could be uh, a like a huge contribution to the global struggle against imperialism, right? Because China was uh, theoretically speaking or rhetorically speaking anti-imperialist at the time, mm-hmm. right? So. So, and Claudia Jones's support for China's nuclear weapons program uh, was in part because of the kind of uh, anti-imperialist implications of uh, the nuclear weapons uh, program. Right, but still, Claudia Jones was not supportive of weapons of mass destruction, right? Because oh, China, okay. uh, was uh, that so China uh, had a kind of a minimalist approach to nuclear weapons, meaning right. China would not be the would not use nuclear weapons on the country that did not have nuclear weapons and China would mm. not use nu- nuclear weapons first, right? So only after being attacked by a country with right. nuclear weapons. So, uh, so Claudia Jones was uh, interested in that kind of minimalist approach to nuclear weapons by the Chinese government. But also, I think it is also important to understand, you know, what, why, she really wanted to support nuclear weapons by China and what that would tell us about her politics, right? So in my article, I tried to show that uh, for Claudia Jones, you know, like anti-imperialist nuclear weapons were important because she believed in the importance of anti-imperialist struggles, right? So that treaty by the UK, USSR, and the United States was part of uh, the kind of Soviet efforts to maintain uh, kind of uh, the Cold War state's core, but China's nuclear ambition was actually uh, to rupture that uh, kind of uh, uh, effort on the part of the Soviet Union to right. uh, really maintain the state's core. And Claudia Jones was actually interested in that. Got it. Also, for Claudia Jones, peace was not you know, about the absence of violence. It was not about the, 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 the cessation of the wars. It was about, you know, uh, the uh, victory of anti-imperialist struggles, right? So if nuclear weapons could contribute to, to anti-imperialist struggles and, uh, and, only, and then uh, only anti-imperialist struggles could actually bring the peace that people actually wanted. So right. uh, she decided to support uh, China's nuclear weapons uh, program. Got it. But still, you know, as we said, uh, so she's not. She she didn't really say, okay, she loved nuclear weapons. It's more like how mm-hmm. uh, the implications of uh, China's nuclear weapons could actually um, help um, kind right. of uh, 
promote global yeah. anti-imperialist uh, struggles. I think it's always interesting to see, you know, I, I, nuclear weaponry and, and, and mass, weapons of mass destruction and nuclear diplomacy. It, it's it's a, a whole subset of international relations in itself, and it's always interested interesting to see that. They don't even have to be used, but just the ownership, the existence of it changes everything right. <laughs> in, I mean, between factors. Yeah, definitely. And I think here it is important to really think about what peace meant to Claudia Jones, right? So mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not about, you know, uh, the uh, absence of the war. It's about the presence of justice, right? Mm-hmm. So Claudia Jones the presence of justice, globally speaking, would only happen after militant struggles against imperialism, colonialism, capitalism, right? And that's why, so Claudia Jones really uh, was able to kind of highlight that kind of dialectic between peace and violence, right? Mm -hmm. But this idea of peace as being more than uh, the absence of war still is important today. When we think about, you know, uh, what happened last year, right? So there were protests on the streets mm-hmm. and people were like, oh, you should not really be on the streets. We want like, right. oh, they want peace. And then there was this uh, slogan, no peace, no justice. No justice, no peace. Right, right, right. right. Which is similar really uh, to what Claudia Jones is trying to argue, right? No anti-imperialism, mm. no peace. Right, right. Got it. Uh, nice, nice. Yeah. That's interesting context. Um, you know, I think just to wrap things up, you know, we're sort of going to take the lessons we learn, take take the insights we have, and and place them today, and, and talk about China today and the future. You know, as a historian, one would think you know that you'd be entirely focused on the past, but. You know, I think as we all know, history tends to repeat itself over and over, and, and historians tend to be critical tend to be critical to identifying um, to identifying that right, and 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 providing um, insights so that we can make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. So, in a lot of circles, I argue there's a general consensus that um, you know this is not across the board. Just there are in, in circles, there's a consensus that China has become an imperialist great power today, right? And Claudia Jones's perspective and story was in the context of that triangular relationship between the U.S., the Soviet Union, and China, right, during the Cold War. But today, and, and yes, there are nuances, but today it seems the power binary between the U.S. and China um, keeps getting clearer. So I'm curious, in your opinion, we can't ever speak for Claudia Jones, <laughs> but I'm curious, in your opinion, would Jones... I mean, I don't know if that's a, a question that's like too much on the nose, but like, would she support the Communist Party as it is today or would she criticize it? You know, I mean, China already has the world's second largest military budget, you know, fifth largest nuclear power, and it's as capitalist as the U.S. Well, um, but I do see, you know, um, I guess influences in, um, in China's foreign policy in influences in China's foreign policy policy today, particularly their their non-interference policy, and you know, it, it to me it, it reminds me of of Mao and his sort of um, outlook, his, his anti-imperialist outlook. 
So I wonder, like, what do you think Kali Jones would think of the Chinese Communist Party today? Well, well, so, so I think you know um, uh, to understand like China today, right? We have to, you know, uh, go back to like the nineteen seventies, right? So that mm-hmm. was a, a decade uh, that witnessed China's own, you know, political, ideological reorientation, right? Mm-hmm. So the China of today is different from the China of the nineteen sixties. Absolutely. But still. Um, I would say, you know, even in the 1960s, I, you know, I call Claudia Jones pro-Chinese. I don't mean that Claudia Jones was supportive of everything that the Chinese government did, right? I'm also mm-hmm. not saying that Claudia Jones really pinned all of her hopes on the Chinese Communist Party, right? So Claudia Jones was trying to navigate a global context in which China was a major player. Got it. Right. So I think that's important to our moment as well. Right. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of activists still think, you know, it's 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 like either China or the US, right? So if you mm-hmm. are supportive of China, then you must be pro anti, you must be pro authoritarian, then you mm-hmm. must, you know, uh uh you know like not interested in, you know, democracy, however that term is defined, right? Yeah. But then if you are critical of China, you must be uh, supportive of American imperialism. So mm. why it is impossible to mm. be critical of both, right? Yeah. Why to always remember who are the people that you want to serve, right? So this is really a lesson from Ella Baker. So she she always asked you know younger athletes to, to always think you know who your people are. So who actually your people are, mm. right? So for Claudia Jones, her people was not the Chinese leaders. Mm. Right? He was mm. not like yeah. a propagandist for the Chinese government. Right. And what, what I was trying to show when I really wrote, when I was writing that article was that Claudia Jones tried to understand China, tried to uh, really glean what was useful from China, but also she tried to, you know, uh, you know push China and the Soviet Union uh, to basically contribute to the global struggle against colonialism and imperialism, right? So, mm. I, so I I wouldn't say like Claudia Jones yeah. was, you know, uh, really like the like the biggest China supporter. She was not like, <laughs> like, the, right. really, like in the sense that we might associate with certain activists today, right? So, yeah. so she's not you know trying to uh, work for the Chinese government. Right, she yeah. certainly did not want to help China to be really the leader of the glo- the third world that China actually aspired to. Right, so that's something that I'm interested in. I would say college was never beholden to China, right? Mm. So, and I think that's something that we can uh, think about more today. How do we, you know, think about transnational organizing in the context mm. of a China yeah. competition? China yeah. competition, not US, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Yes, um, <laughs> so I think that's something important to think about as well, mm. right? But also, you know, um, to criticize China is not also to be disillusioned about communism or socialism. In the same way, we'll talk about what's going on in Cuba and what we don't like about Cuba. It's mm. not about the, the, the problems of socialism. It could be, you know, about the difficulty of implementing socialism. 
Right. Right. So right. people have to understand all these things. Yeah. Right? So it's not easy. Yeah. But I would say, you know, if we further explore the work of Claudia Jones, I'm pretty sure we can really better understand how, you know, black radicals like her try to navigate global geopolitics and try to always be committed to the decolonization of the third world, right? How they try to really extricate themselves from global power, big power struggles, but at yeah. the same time, try to manipulate, you know, uh, international <laughs> relations uh, to uh, really promote uh, global decolonization. Yeah. And maybe that's the strategy that needs to be used. <laughs> maybe yeah, yeah. beholding yourself to any one of these actors is not going to be not going to lead to success. You have to, as you say, navigate the, the rough waters. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's, you know, that's what uh, I'm trying to show. And I, yeah. I'm, you know, just uh, scratching the surface and I would, uh, you know, <laughs> encourage really anyone to yeah. study Claudia Jones. Um, so there is a, a book, uh, in addition to Carol Boyce Davis' study of Claudia Jones, there is mm-hmm. a, a collection of her writings uh, uh, titled uh, Beyond the Containment. Mm. And uh, her papers are at the Schomburg Center. And you probably can also find something uh, in uh, the UK at the Black Culture Archives as well. Right, right. Yeah, no, that is it for me. You know, I, I, I think this was a fantastic conversation. I know a lot of people... Um, you know, I was kind of talking about this episode to um, some colleagues of mine, and they didn't even know Claudia Jones existed, which <laughs> speaks volumes, right? So I'm glad that we kind of had um, a pretty nuanced conversation to just flush her out and, and, and give her the credit that she's due, as is the case with many other Black radicals who kind of get buried in history. So thank you for your work on this. Thank you. Um, thank you for elevating Black women in this movement. And yeah, it's been... A great conversation. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Zifeng for joining us during that just, you know, really insightful discussion of this topic. And I hope we brought a lot of value to every listener today. And as always, thank you for listening to the Brooklyn to Beijing podcast.